Hey guys, I'm Josh. And I'm Mike. And we are Purge the Alien, bringing you battle reports, podcasts, and articles by gamers for gamers. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Purge the Alien. Uh, and on YouTube. Also at Purge the Alien. Instagram and Twitter, both at Purge the Alien as well. <laughs> and then, of course, our website, www.purgethealien.com. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise, right? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, essentially that has the links to all the social media. Feel free to visit that and also all of our content. So, yeah, what are we talking about today, Mike? Uh, so, today, you know, we got a couple things to go over. Um, interestingly enough, right as we were about to hit record, GW dropped some amazing FAQs. So, we're going to be adding that today as well. Um, so, we're actually probably going to be recording a couple different podcasts today. Um, but the first thing that we really wanted to go over was if you guys ever want to hear us talk about anything, you want to hear about articles that you want us to write, specific armies you want to see in battle reports. Feel free to shoot us an email um, at purgealien40k at gmail.com. Let us know on Facebook, on the YouTube comments, Instagram comments, anywhere. We check everything very regularly. So if you want any topic discovered, just let us know. Yeah, and um, you know a lot of these topics have actually come from you yourselves, right? Yes. A lot of the meta that, that we had the last podcast. So yeah, send us those, uh, those topics. Yeah, so one of the first things to go over is we actually had a couple requests to how to deal with the hot lists that are going on right now. Mm -hmm. So the ATC tournament just ended uh, about a week ago, and a couple lists dominated that meta. There was about six or seven Storm Raven lists. There was Razorwing spam um, for the big flocks for Dark Eldar. And then one of the other ones was sort of some Razorback spam as well, as well as some demons. And we sure. actually had some detailed breakdowns for it, but then eighth, or, uh, GW dropped an amazing FAQ for it. Yeah. And it really changed sort of how those armies will function and even if they're viable going forward. So, uh, you know, one of the big things is, is I can't tell you how impressed I am with GW coming up with a response a week after this event happened. Yeah, I mean, I th- I th- obviously the FAQs were in the works for, mm-hmm. you know, a month or two now, right? Um, since the actual drop of of the code or of the actual rule book itself. But, I mean, the, this is a new GW, yes. right? They're going to start dropping these FAQs more regularly. I mean, we see it with AOS, with the General's Handbook. They have year- yearly releases with regular FAQ updates, mm-hmm. right? So, um, yeah, definitely looking forward to those adjustments going forward. And we'll, we'll touch on, you know, a little bit more specifics of them. Yeah, and the quick so. response time is, is absolutely amazing. And this is one of those reasons, you know, when people saw the indexes and they saw things like weapons and units separated yeah. for points and it was frustrating to build a matched playlist, mm-hmm. this is something that GW is able to do now. They're able to change point costs of units on the fly exactly. very, very quickly. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about those. But, you know, for a lot of people that we've seen on comments on our website and on Facebook and everything else that kind of thought that 8th edition was going to be unbalanced, you know, as Josh mentioned, this is a completely new GW. Yeah, yeah, sure. We're getting quick FAQs for lists that they know they're a problem. They're paying attention to the tournament scene. Exactly. Whether you are a competitive player or not, mm-hmm. this is your advantage because they will fix things that are inherently broken, and that's going to make your narrative games better. Mm-hmm. That's going to make casual games better. It's going to make the tournament scene better, too. Exactly. It's going to make everything more balanced, right? So, like, with 7th edition, there's these typical armies that would always win, right? Yes. Eldar, for example, right? You knew that oh, Eldar classic. was always going to just run wreck, right? Um, always grab those objectives, always run around shooting, you can never really kill them, right? That's That would happen for, what, a couple years with 7th edition? At least two years, yeah. 8th yeah. edition has been out for, what, a month? And now we already have an FAQ. Yeah. New GW. 
And, you know, the great part is that this FAQ2 addressed specific things for that list. And so we're going to talk about those. So one of the first things that you see addressed in that list, um, and it was some of the top lists that we saw at ATC and some other events, mm -hmm. were lists that would spam about six to seven different Storm Ravens. Yeah, that's nasty. Storm Ravens have a bunch of really good rules. Um, with Space Marines and Power of the Machine Spirit, they can move and shoot heavy weapons without a penalty. Um, they're also going to be supersonic, so they're minus one to hit. Yeah. Incredibly durable, incredibly point sufficient for their point costs. Um, and when you arm them with about, you know, assault cannons that are pumping out strength sh six, 12 shots at minus one rend, and yeah. you're going to have a reroll guy in there, they're pretty brutal. Yeah, they're nasty, right? And then when you have six or seven of them on the, on the battlefield, I mean, there goes half your army turn one, right? Half your army turn yeah. one, and right now you're almost always going turn first with the way yeah. the rules are set up too with the drop, unless you get a, a steal. Exactly. So GW, if you haven't seen the <laughs> FAQ yet, did something that was pretty amazing. Yep. And basically what they did is they have a rule called boots on the ground now. And basically what that is saying is that flyers, and not units with the fly rule, but the flyer actual like battlefield role, do not count in terms of if you're getting tabled or not. Yeah, so, so actually the FAQ reads, right, it's page 215 called Sudden Death, right? So they essentially said change point two to read, if at the end of any turn, uh, after the first battle round, one player has no miles on the battlefield, the game ends immediately and their opponent automatically wins a crushing victory, right? So they go on to further explain, when determining if a player has any units on the battlefield, do not include any units with the flyer battlefield role. Yes. And that's huge, right? It's crazy. Yeah. So these units cannot operate within a combat airspace indefinitely, and they cannot hold territory without ground support. I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? I mean... It's awesome. Yeah. So if you're running, if you see a Storm Raven list and somebody is rocking, you know, seven Storm Ravens with Gilliman back there and mm -hmm. you can't shoot Gilliman, but he's giving rerolls to all the Storm Ravens or mm -hmm. the most common list was uh, Blood Angels, six or seven Storm Ravens with Dante deep striking down, yep. giving everybody rerolls to hits. Um, now all you have to do is kill the units on the ground and mm -hmm. you've tabled your opponent. So instead of worrying about killing six or seven extremely hard-to-hit flying units, yep. you now just have to kill that one model that's on the ground. Sure. So if you have some form of alpha strike shenanigans, mm -hmm. or if you've got a way to deep strike close in to the ground models and get a charge off and kill them in a turn, exactly. you've effectively tabled your opponent if they have pigeonholed themselves into this role. Yeah, exactly. So instead of building up that anti-air, you'll probably just keep going with concentrating on the ground units and try to table your opponent, right? Instead of exactly focusing on those flyers. So I know I personally started adding Hydras to my list, okay. in, my, in my Imp Guard list, because of all the flyers I've seen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, maybe I'll just replace them with Wyverns again and start trying yeah. to knock out those ground targets. And what you'll see from that is, you know, and GW even mentioned it, you're going to see a change in the list building. You yep, know, all exactly. of a sudden having seven Storm Ravens, which you could have before, is no longer that appealing mm -hmm. if you only have to essentially kill one guy. Yep. Like, no matter how much damage those Storm Ravens do to you in a single turn, mm -hmm. you can kill one or two people, especially if you've got your own units in reserve that you can deep strike in and get close to them or ways to, you know, really mess those units up. Um, Storm Ravens don't make the bus bubble wrap, yep, really. Yep, yep. Um, you can get through some of them, and, you know, yeah. you can get through, and you, you can get that table. So sure. I don't think you're going to see too many units that have six or seven Storm Ravens going forward, especially with some of the changes to the codexes coming out. Yeah. I definitely think we'll see, you know, three or four of them you know yeah. moving forward just because they're they're still awesome yes right? they're still an awesome unit um 
but the thing is, is obviously they don't want to get tabled, right? Then they just immediately lose the game. So I know the one thing that, you know, you and I discussed before starting this podcast yeah. was, you know, kind of the, the caveat there, right? So the way the rule reads is, you know, it's essentially saying that the unit, the, the Storm Raven can't hold any objectives or, well, it can hold objectives, but it doesn't, it's a flyer, right? Correct. So um, unless you have boots on the ground, you lose the game. But the question is, do the units embarked inside the Storm Raven still count as having boots on the ground? Yes. Right. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's kind of the uh, rules as written versus the rules as intended yeah. um, that, that comes into play here. On one hand, you have the unit on the battlefield if they're embarked in the Storm Raven because yeah. it's not like it counts as a kill point in the game if you still have a model in transport. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nothing like that. That unit is on the battlefield. Yeah. However, it goes against the spirit of the rule, which is essentially... If you only have flyers on the table, you're tabled because they can't hold the ground. Um, I truly believe that this will get clarified a little bit more because I think a lot of people are going to immediately have this question. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be that if you only have people flying around in Storm Ravens and you have nothing on the table, it's going to count as you being tabled and full points go to your opponent. Exactly. I would completely agree because, I mean, if you you have... Troops within the actual Storm Ravens themselves, Mm -hmm. I mean, people are going to say, well, I have boots on the ground, right? I have... I have infantry or whatever yes. it is that's in the Storm Raven, right? And I can easily deploy them if I need to. Mm-hmm. But again, you're still just going to fly around. Are you really going to deploy those units? Because then it's one less unit within a Storm Raven and it's going more towards you being tabled. Exactly. Right, and you so. could put, you know, very mm-hmm. low cost units into the Storm Raven mm-hmm. and it would be adding a very small tax to be able to play. Yeah, what would you um, say, 15 points for a... Uh, yes, if yeah. you use some of those Inquisitor models um, as well, you know, you're looking at very cheap points yeah. that can hide in some vehicles. Um, and, you know, and this includes other, like, you know, non-Storm Raven vehicles as well. So there's some really, you know, ways around that rule if they don't FAQ it. Yes, sure. you're paying a little bit of a points tax for them mm-hmm. um, as well. And it might be harder to fit, like, seven into them with, yeah. the, with the tax. But it still wouldn't take the list down nearly as much as I think GW hoped. Exactly. For it as yeah. well. And one of the other like big ones as well is, and I really wanted to applaud GW because a lot of people were just calling for a Storm Ravens points increase, mm-hmm. basically saying that they were too cheap, too efficient for what they did. And while that could be true, what GW did instead of changing the points around and reevaluating them and trying to arbitrarily decide how many points they should be worth based on if you're abusing the rule, they just added this boots on the ground rule, which is amazing yeah. because. If you're a tournament player, you don't want to get tabled because mm-hmm. you're going to be losing all your points. If you're a casual player, though, that wasn't abusing the Storm Raven spam like you would at like a high-level tournament, exactly. this well, doesn't affect how you built your list. Exactly, yeah. If you were having an all-comers list, um, mm-hmm. we talked about this in the previous podcast where you had one or two Storm Ravens, they're just as powerful. You don't have to change around what you included in your list. You don't have to rebuild anything. Exactly. It just helps out. Not only that, but it affects other armies too, right? Yeah. So, like, other armies can't spam flyers at this point. Correct. I mean, they still can, but they're, you know, like you said, there's a little bit of attacks there. So, you know, if they adjust or, you know, any other type of flyers find, mm-hmm. you know, that they're just overpowered, you yeah. know, they don't have to simply adjust the points cost like they could, perhaps could have done for the Storm Raven. Yeah, with Eldar, um, yeah, exactly. you know, their Hemlock Wraith Fighters mm-hmm. and their other ones that they have, you know, it basically is a blanket rule for the flyer category. Exactly. And it didn't change. They didn't get rid of Power of the Machine Spirit. Yep. They didn't get rid of Supersonic. Like, they kept the rules that should be in there. They just sort of changed how you can use them on the battlefield. And I for think sure. that is so amazing because no matter what threads you read online, on Reddit, on Facebook, yep. on any site, no one suggested this. 
If it's a fluff, honestly, it I does. mean, in real real life, are you actually going to have a flyer that's going to, you know, just control the battle? Exactly. No, you need boots on the ground, right? Makes sense. So, awesome. So, so that was one big thing to go over with, like, the FAQ and the meta. Um, the other one that was great, and this is sort of playing off a slightly different rule, is that one of the other top lists that was going out was Razor Wing Spam. Um, basically, it was a lot of Razor Wing flocks that you'd have for Dark Eldar that you made... Yanari, mm-hmm. you put them all around. They were incredibly cheap at seven points for four wounds for a single model. Yeah. Um, you know, they were subjected to morale, but you could just have so many of them. Yeah. You stuck characters behind them, like the Yunkarn, and as they died, the Yunkarn was just able to tear through your army. Like, and they did damage. You could reroll them with Beastmasters. It, it was sure. just a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so GW, once again, saw that list, immediately realized that in a tournament type setting, that they were not being used properly because they were so expensive and they actually doubled the points cost from seven to 14. Yep. So if you saw any list out there and you saw they were taking, you know, 200 of these units, congratulations, that number's now cut in half. Exactly. Now we'll have to see if that actually made a difference, but it's a nice thing to be able to take a look at. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of them where the points increase makes sense. Right? Yes. How else are you going to fix that? Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like it's, for a specific army, mm-hmm. again, right? Um, and it's it's honestly just going to help uh, help decrease that, that meta, right? And it's, so. it's pretty awesome with that, too, because you saw the points increase. And what I think it does for a lot of people is it also gives you a little bit of hope. Um, what mm-hmm. I mean is that a lot of people saw the FAQ, and I even got a couple texts, like, while we've been doing this show, and they asked, you know, hey, where was the Brimstone Horror points increase? Yeah. A lot of people were talking about that. They're mm-hmm. the other unit out there that's kind of like Razor Wig Spam sure. that is mm-hmm. very points efficient for what they do. You yep. can take a lot of them. When you see this, if you still see Brimstones kind of elevate and fill the roles once Storm Ravens have gone down, once Razor Wing Spam has exactly. gone down, if Brimstones elevate to there, you can expect to see a points increase for them too. Yeah, exactly. Or a cool new rule change, right? Yeah. Like what we've seen with Storm Raven, maybe. Or yeah, limiting, yeah. A, you know, even limiting unit size. Yeah, saying, cool, too. you can only take 10 brimstone whores in a unit. So yeah. th- even if you don't want to change the points and affect people's lists. Sure. You know, GW's now looking at that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that you just had one major tournament. Just one. This wasn't even like yeah. a whole year of gathering stuff. No. And it was clear what was broken. They have play testers at a high level. Exactly. And they're going to just make all this stuff better. Yeah, instead of, you know, receiving one FAQ for a year, right? We're yeah. receiving an FAQ a month after, like we said earlier. I mean, it's just so much quicker. It's so yeah, much it's, better. It's um, I really just got to tip my hat to GW because that was one of the best surprises to wake up on a Sunday morning and see that. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. you're starting to get into tournament season. You know, Nova is coming mm-hmm. up. Um, here in Michigan, we've got our Golden Rhino tournament. Yep. Um, it's different yep. than a lot of them because it's actually like a weekday tournament. Exactly. Yep. Uh, there's still Tuesday. 40 people. Yep, yep. So it's pretty yep. cool. Um, Persian is a sponsor of that one as well. So yep. it's pretty cool. And then, you know, we've got the Michigan GT coming up in yep. October. Um, so you get to see a lot of changes with that. And, exactly. You know, I think one of the things, too, that we were looking at as well is with this change and mm-hmm. how they were doing the FAQs, the codexes are also going to be coming out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have the Space Marines codex. Mm-hmm. Uh, pre-order is going on right now. I yeah. think today. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think it dropped today. Yeah. So, um, yeah, obviously some leaks around that. Yep. And um, we've got like all the leaks. We've, you know, the full codex has kind of been posted online at Picture yeah. Form, um, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of looking at stuff. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that Space Marine codex, how it's going to play out in the meta, and sort of what we're excited to see going forward with it. So we'll be right back. 
Hey everybody, this is Josh of Purge Alien. As you may know, in addition to our podcast, we also record Warhammer 40k and Age of Sigmar Val reports, and we would love to have you on the show. If you would like to come play a game with us, and possibly have it posted to YouTube, please leave a message us on Facebook at Purge the Alien, or email us at contact at purgealien.com. We hope to see you soon. Now let's go ahead and get back to the show. So we're back. So... I think we wanted to talk about some Space Marines, right? Space Marines yeah. getting the first codex. Uh, again, pre-orders were actually out right now. As of today, it's Sunday uh, the 22nd, so you can pre-order the Space Marine codex, which if you are a Space Marine player, do it. Yeah. Like, uh, what's the percentage of Space Marines players out there? Oh, it's high. Random guess, yeah, right? <laughs> I think everyone so, has some amount of Space Marines, exactly. even if it's just like a couple tactical squads yep, or something. Yep. Like, I don't know too many people that don't, haven't had them at some point. I, I, I haven't had them, but I know I've definitely thought about just throwing a drop pod into my For army. Sure. Yeah. But. So when we're looking at like this codex, uh, this codex is answering a lot of people's questions mm-hmm. that they had before. Um, when the indexes came out, everybody loved them because every army got a points update, every army yep. was playable right away, and it handled a lot of the balance issues. Sure. But a lot of people talked about there was no fluff. Yeah, there's exactly. no relics. Nothing that made this Space Marine chapter from this different from the other ones, sure. and this fixes all of that. Exactly. Yeah, because I mean, even with the fluff aspect, right, there is one page explaining it. Um, but like you said, you know, now you have all the chapters, or mm-hmm. most of the chapters, right? Um, all the commonly played chapters, yes. I should say. Um, and then, you know, it's just the additional stratagems, like we discussed earlier, you yeah. know, all these various different updates, you know, now you can play White Scars, for example, rather than just playing generic Space Marines. Yeah. So if so. you haven't seen the leaks yet, um, with the stratagems, there are 26 additional stratagems that went into the Space Marines book. And that goes on top of the three that everybody gets. So it's a huge boost. Some of the stratagems have fantastic abilities. Some of them are way more situational. Mm -hmm. And what I think is the coolest part about the Space Marine book to really make each chapter feel like its own, there are stratagems that are specific only for certain chapters. So Ultramarines Mm -hmm. have a specific stratagem. Salamanders have a specific stratagem. White Scars have a specific stratagem. And it's really nice to be able to kind of take a look at all those different groups and see how they specialize themselves in the field. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, now all of a sudden you have these additional stratagems. Um, you know, you have, I mean, just a ton of information. Like, mm-hmm. like we said, it, it adds to the fluff, right, um, of, I mean, just in general. Uh, yeah, and yeah. the nice part, too, about, like, the stratagems is that with the chapter tactics, mm-hmm. the chapter tactics only affected infantry, bikes and dreadnoughts the stratagems as a whole will affect anybody in the chapter yep that goes ahead so if you are playing a more vehicle heavy unit the, tra- the stratagems can still affect those units so like salamanders for example get plus one on all wounds for flamers mm-hmm. so if you have a bunch of land speeders that you're making salamanders with heavy flamers cool you can still take advantage of that stratagem so sure. you get the chapter tactics bonus and the stratagems and you really kind of can make that army have a really good amount of fluff and make it feel very different than other units that are out on the board for you as well. Yeah, exactly, which makes perfect sense, right? Um, so these these different stratagems, like you said, there's 26 of them, mm-hmm. right? Um, so really you can apply them to, you know, just make your army, you know, however you want to play, yeah. essentially, right? So for example, uh, one of them here is uh, split any unit of 10-man infantry, into combat squads and do two to five units, right? I mean, that's something that we've seen in the past that you were able to do. Yeah. 
but now you can you know split up your different cha- tactics or your different chapters into oh yeah you know, there's a lot of them and yeah, yeah, some yeah. of them even are before the battle starts mm-hmm. um, so there's even a stratagem that ele- allows you to take a ca- space marine captain and promote him up to a chapter master sure and so yeah. you're not paying the additional points if you couldn't squeeze a chapter master in but you get the advantage of having a chapter master in your army as well so there's a lot of really cool things that you can do. And the best part about stratagems is you can sort of build lists around them because there's no way to block any of the stratagems. Exactly. They work out really well. Yeah. I mean, essentially, your limitation is just the amount of command points that you have. Exactly. So, I mean, typically, you'll probably have six command points for a battalion attachment. You know, I think yeah. that's going to be pretty common for yeah. a lot of people. Um, you know, we talked about in our very first meta podcast how the stratagems weren't overly important. You know, mm-hmm. don't go for command points. I think what the Space Marine Codex, though, is showing us is that command points, not necessarily game-breaking, but provide you a lot of flexibility and a lot of bonuses that go out there. And so you might start to see some people, instead of just taking the bare bones, Mm -hmm. you might start to see people make some slight list adjustments just to get a couple extra command points. Because if you look at the Space Marine ones, if you upgrade a captain to a chapter master, I believe that's two command points. If you want to re-roll the CZ initiative dice before the game, that's one. Yep. And then you can have a chapter master that does an orbital bombardment, which basically dishes out mortal wounds in a six-inch bubble yeah. that cause three yeah, that's command huge. points. Yeah, yeah. You could literally, by you know, the beginning of your shooting phase on turn one, be out of command points for the game. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Grant, you, know, you can only spend one command point. Per phase still, but again, this one strat, you know, you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or sorry, one stratagem per phase. Yeah. yeah. You know what I meant. Um, but essentially, I mean, there's just so many options here. So I think, you know, this is just the space Marines codex. Obviously we'll see, you know, these different stratagems added to all the other different codexes. Yeah. Um, cause what they're going to drop 10 by the end of the year. Oh yeah. Um, so I mean, you'll just see a ton of different, uh, lists being built around these different stratagems. For sure. And to point out what Josh said, mm-hmm. you know, you can only use each stratagem once per phase. Um, mm-hmm. but because now the stratagems have expanded in the space Marines book to almost 30, you can use multiple stratagems in different phases. They just have to be different Yep. as we go throughout there. And one of the other cool parts, you know, we, we mentioned the chapter tactics. That's been kind of talked about to death on, like, Facebook and any media. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some obvious winners. There's some obvious losers. You know, we don't really go into too much of that because, you know, frankly, it's been talked about enough to death at this point. There's some yeah. obviously good ones. Salamanders and Ultramarines are two of the better ones. Um, a lot of people really like Raven Guard because you have to subtract one to any hit rolls if you're more than 12 inches away. Yep. Um, and keep in mind, chapter attacks are only for bikes and dreadnoughts and infantry. Sure. So sure. kind of good part. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I know we've seen the, the leaks for those, um, you know, for the various different chapter tactics. You know, you can obviously review them, look them up. Yep. Um, there, there's a ton of them there. Um, I know another one here is obviously the uh, how you can swap out for the relics. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the relics are one of the other really cool things that they've added with in the codex itself. So mm-hmm. the way the relics work is you can switch out a weapon or piece of gear mm-hmm. on a character. Cannot be a named character. <laughs> Makes sense, yeah. So Gilliman's not flipping out a sword yep. for something different. Yep. Yep. Um, and it has to be the exact weapon that you have as well. So for example, if you have an Iron Hands unit and they have a captain or chapter master that has a power axe, you can switch it out for the axe Medusa. Yep. 
And the Axe Medusa basically changes it up a little bit. So instead of just being a typical power axe, sure. it's going to add two strength. It's going to be minus three AP, two damage. And you actually don't have to pay any additional points to get the named weapon. You just pay the initial cost for that original power axe. Which is awesome. And again, it fits the fluff of what the new GW is doing, yeah. right? I mean, you can all of a sudden customize your army with these relics. I mean, relics were in seventh, mm-hmm. right? But they cost points. And yes. Honestly, I didn't use relics too much just because they're points heavy, you know, they didn't really provide too much of a benefit, but now all of a sudden we'll probably see a lot of relics being used. I mean, they're free. Why wouldn't you use them? Exactly. And then they add these various different benefits and now all of a sudden you can kind of, you know, have these, all right, I have my chapter master who has the Axe of Medusa, right? Um, And then customize the weapon, kit bash it so it looks like a, you know, customized weapon. And it adds to the fluff value as well in addition Mm -hmm. to gameplay. Um, And the other cool part is that it, it has to be on characters. Yeah, exactly. So you're limited to the number of relics that you can bring. Exactly. And you can't multiply, you can't take a bunch of different ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And once again, things like adding these extra relics that add a little bit of extra power helps you avoid a spam list. Yep. Because you're going to be adding more characters. Yep. So they're pretty cool. Exactly. And then the other one really cool thing that we have, or that the chaos, or not the chaos, the Space Marines uh, codex, sorry, I'm looking ahead, has added is also there's more psychic powers that have gone through. Yeah, so I actually haven't looked into the psychic powers too much. Which uh, which specific ones do you remember that were specifically beneficial to the Space Marines? So I think there's a couple like really good ones that are out there. Um, basically, one of the things that can happen with the psychic powers now is because there's a full six, that means that you are no longer sort of trapped into what you were looking at before, which is there's only three psychic powers. And you're going to end up, if you have a bunch of psychers, really only casting smite because you can't use them for that part. So one of the like psychic powers that you had if you, is basically like if you pick a point, it's a warp charge, I believe, of eight. It's either seven or eight. And what you do is you pick up a line in a row and you roll 3d6. Okay. So I'm explaining this very, very slowly. That way everybody can get an idea of it. But basically what you do is you roll 3d6 if the power goes off. You pick that many inches and you roll, draw a straight line and any unit in that line is going to take a mortal wound. So you get some additional powers and the things that can work like that that really help out how you go throughout the game and really it adds diversity. If you're taking a librarian concave or you have multiple psychers, mm-hmm. you're just able to cast more powers. Yeah. Instead of just casting smite all the time. Yeah. Because <laughs> let, let's say, yeah, you want yeah. tactical. It just doesn't yeah, make sense exactly. to just cast smite exactly. and just to cast like basic powers. It changes yeah, yeah, everything yeah. else. Sure. So those were like some of like the big things that we saw. And the last thing is that, you know, we talked about a lot. There's also tactical objectives that go throughout. And mm-hmm. this really kind of helps also add to that fluff aspect. Because a lot of um, tournaments and other, you know, basic casual games are using more of like a maelstrom mission thing. And mm-hmm. having tactical objectives for your army is pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just like we had within 7th edition, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it just adds that much more fluff. Um, And I hope with these, I know for for 7th edition, there was a little bit of fluff there. There There's a couple cards that were kind of neat, but hopefully these are a little bit more. um, I want to say more fluffy, but I mean, that obviously isn't necessarily a word. Hopefully they align more to the Space Marines with the various different uh, chapters and stuff like that. Yeah, I think they will. And and how they play, right? Exactly. And one of the cool parts, too, is that, you know, we covered a lot of different stuff. You know, there's now relics, there's now stratagems, there's now tactical cards, there's now psychic powers. It's a lot to go over, Mm -hmm. and GW has arranged all of this in a data card box that we have. 
So it's pretty awesome because now you have all of these things in one box, one place. So if you're trying to remember like, oh my God, I've got 30 stratagems to pick from. Yeah, exactly. You can have them all on cards and you can pick out the ones that are like really common for you sure. to use. Refresh yourself when the other player is doing like their movement phase. Exactly. <laughs> like what else do you have? Yeah. It's all in one spot. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of following, again, the AOS type format, right? Where yep. they have these different data cards for the, for the units and, and such where you can just kind of look at your cards and see what... What exactly you need to uh, need to know? Yeah, so, and for people I mean, also that are expecting some differences, the other thing to keep in mind too is that the points and the power levels for just about everything didn't really change. Mm-hmm. I think there was about like two units. I think it was like the whirlwinds changed. Yeah, point cost, and I think that was almost like it. I think there might have been like one other, uh, but besides that, everything stayed the same. So people that were complaining online that oh, I just bought this index and now you know they're going to be changing all these rules, it really didn't. They added some new, like, Primaris Marine units um, that, you know, weren't in the index before that have just been released. But besides that, you know, everything that's in your index has basically stayed the same. You just kind of want to get the codex for the fluff, the new Space Marine units, stratagems, uh, Warlord traits. Um, I think it's a good buy. Yeah, exactly. No, I completely agree. And again, the codexes aren't there to just simply replace the rules, right? Um, replace the entries that are within the index. Mm-hmm. Because again, the purpose of the index is that everybody knows all the other different rules, right? So if I have the index Imperium, I can see all the Space Marine rules. So yes. this $25 book that I can buy, I know what my, my opponent's playing, mm-hmm. right? And I can look it up. So obviously they're not going to have a ton of different changes with the codex, but instead they're going to add those different fluff components, right? Exactly. Um, such as the chapter taxit, tactics, the relics, like we talked about. I mean, just all those amazing, amazing items. So. And one of the cool parts about that as well, too, mm-hmm. is a lot of people, when 8th edition dropped, would talk about how they felt the game was less complex now. Yeah. The rule book was so small, yeah. basic units, there was a lot of other stuff. Just looking at one codex, you've added 30 new stratagems to choose to make in-game decisions. Exactly. About. Yeah. Psychic powers doubled. Mm-hmm. Tactical objectives changed. Relics have changed. You're now adding that complexity that people were kind of yearning for. Exactly. Yeah. But you're doing it without changing the core set of rules. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. So I, I still know what a stratagem is, right? <laughs> I, I Yeah, exactly. I just know that there's different stratagems for different armies now. Right? Yes. So if my opponent wants to use a stratagem to do an orbital, orbital bombardment on my guy's turn one, I'll be like, okay, well, that makes sense, right? How many, how many command points does that cost? Um, you know, and that that core set of rules for the game is still simple enough for me to understand and doesn't add complexity, right? You're not interrupting anything for me. You're not, you know, adding uh, really any type of, of additional complexity there for me. Yeah, So, and mm-hmm. it's pretty nice to kind of go through all of that stuff. Um, you know, we do have, like we said, there's a couple of really nice parts. We talked a lot about the pros about mm-hmm. Space Breeze Codex. Sure, um, yeah. You know, Adds a lot of fluff, adds a lot of detail, mm-hmm. helps you customize legions. Um, yep. There are some cons, though. <laughs> All right. So yep. we talked about this a little before. What's like the first big one that you can think about with sort of how this stuff has come out? I mean, we had all the indexes at once, mm-hmm. right? I think that was awesome. The problem with the codexes is that they're, they're kind of coming out in piecemeal again. Yeah. Right? So... Space Marines are going to have all these awesome benefits and all these additional stratagems that they can use, all these relics. As a guard player, I don't get that yet. Right? Yeah. As a Tyranid player, you don't get that yet. Exactly. So, I mean, they're going to have these different advantages that they can use in-game, whereas I'm still going off of, okay, what three stratagems do I have? I can re-roll. Right? Yes. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I definitely see that as a, 
as a negative mm-hmm. for anybody that's not a Space Marines player. Um, I mean, I think that's the biggest one from my side, from the outside looking in. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Space Marine players have a lot of, yep. <laughs> you know, negatives about what they see for the Codex themselves. But what's the, what's the big one for you? You know, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I think it's we're looking at 10 before the end of the year. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people are going to get some love. Mm-hmm. I think in the intermediate time, if you are a person that hasn't received that love of a new codex, yep. and you're playing a space green player that has significantly more options, exactly. can get better war gear, yep. I think you know it can sort of be a little bit bad feelings. I would still play it out. Oh, definitely. The codex yep. isn't even launched yet. We yep. haven't seen a game. I have no idea if it is going to be imbalanced. Um, exactly. Most people weren't playing Space Marines to a high level anyways without doing some kind of spam. Yep. So, you know, this could be the extra boost that they needed. Sure. So there, there are some benefits for it. But, you know, it definitely does kind of make you turn into the green eye jealousy monster. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and see that stuff that's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's, just, it's just natural. Like, yeah. I want to be able to have 30 stratagems. I don't want to exactly. be able to have three. Um, so it changes that. Which is, to me, this is still minor, right? Yes. Because 7th edition, right, you still had codexes that were running, what, 6-ed six, six, six rules? Oh, right? my goodness, I mean, yeah. you still have all the updated points, right? Mm-hmm. You're still kind of on that same level playing field. It's just Space Marines have additional options now. Sure. Right? Um, it's it's still so much better than previous releases in the past, in my opinion. And let's be honest, everybody expected Space Marines to have as many exactly. options. It makes the most sense, right? Possible. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So it works. So, you know, yeah. I'm interested to see, like, how they go about and doing it. Um, like yep. I said, I don't think that it's too unbalanced to not play against. No, um, but it definitely could be, like, potential of an issue. Mm-hmm. I think the only other, like, necessarily con is that I know a lot of people really loved 8th edition because there wasn't that much to learn. Like, outside of, yep. like, learning basic weapon profiles, movements, what some mm-hmm. units did that was different than 6th and 7th edition, sure. there wasn't a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Now, with the release of the Codex, especially with 10 of them coming out in really the next, like, five months, yeah. um, that's a lot of new things to pick up. It's a lot of stratagems. It's a lot of chapter tactics, mm-hmm. especially once you start throwing chaos in there and the other books. Like, exactly. It's going to be a lot of information that's mm-hmm. going to come through. Um, the only con that I see is that it is going to, I think, negatively impact the time that it takes to play a game. I yeah. think you're going to start to see people take a little bit more time, like when 8th edition first dropped. Yeah. Because if I've never played against the new Space Marines before or when the Death Guard book drops or mm-hmm. the Grey Knight book drops... I'm going to ask questions about what you can do. Oh, of course. Makes sense. Yeah. And any time mm-hmm. that I need to take your rule book and read, yeah, it adds time. <laughs> exactly. Which, which any new rule set would. Right? Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I certainly understand the concern there. And hopefully, you know, obviously a lot of these things are, there's still chapter tactics in 7th, mm-hmm. right? There are still relics within 7th. Exactly. They, they cost points, obviously. But hopefully a lot of these things, it's not like you're introducing a ton of new rules. Like Correct. what you said, it's more of introducing additional options. Yeah. Right? The rules were already there. We already knew about them. You know, you're just adi- adding additional options. So hopefully it'll be more of a matter of, okay, what's your chapter tactic now in 8th versus 7th? Mm-hmm. Right? How does that affect the gameplay? Um, and then hopefully, you know, the, the individuals who actually play Space Marines will understand it, pick it up very quickly, and be able to explain it quick. And once the mm-hmm. codex is launched, um, you know, keep an eye out on the Purge the Alien website. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep a running article of sort of the top three chapter tactics, the top relics, yep. the top stratagems that you're going to see. And you can sort of bookmark that article because we're going to constantly update it as new books come out. 
basically that's going to help you because you might not have to memorize all 30 stratagems if really there's only like five or six great ones that you're going to see most people use it'll help for that part and then also talk with your opponent before any game tournament setting casual game yeah if you're putting on a special new power axe power sword piece of armor to your gear as a Mm -hmm. relic ask them if they know what it does (laughs) yeah and then it sounds weird but also hand them your codex during your movement phase like if everyone's moving i trust my opponent to be moving the appropriate distance i don't need to be watching it like a hawk yeah i can then take that book i can start glancing through the stratagems Mm -hmm. i can glance through the new primaris units to see what their kind of stats and profiles are like i can look at all that stuff um and that really helps the game go along before like hold on stop what does that do again exactly and it helps the flow of the game i mean that's just like within any edition right you just have to be respectful say hey you know, here's my codex. You're welcome to flip through it. You know, here's the different units. Hey, I'm an army list, as per usual, and just make sure that they understand all those different rule sets. Exactly. Cool. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we're going to get back, uh, we're going to talk about the last real hot-button issue that people are talking about, which is terrain in 8th edition. And we're going to also be kind of going over a little bit of hobby talk, which is basically what is the best way to get some terrain on your table? What looks the best? What is the cheapest, most affordable? Um, Basically the things that you can do to really make your tabletop gaming pop. Sounds great. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Josh again. And on behalf of everyone at Pergillion, we just wanted to say thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcasts, watching our battle reports, and reading our articles. We're here for you, producing content by gamers for gamers. So thanks again for joining us, and we're happy you're here. Now, let's go ahead and get back to the show. All right, and we're back. All right, guys, so the big thing we're going to talk about now is terrain. Um, Terrain has sort of been a hot-button issue in 8th edition so far. A lot of people don't like some of the terrain rules that have gone away. Um, You know, one of the quick things I talk about is a lot of people talk about how hard it is to get cover. Mm-hmm. as well as some other different options as well. Um, what it comes down to is to two things. One is sort of a different perception from 7th to 8th edition. Yeah. The other one is talking about the actual terrain that you have on your table. Mm-hmm. So Josh and I are going to talk about the terrain that you know you should have on your table. The other thing to talk about real quick is a lot of people are bemoaning the lack of a cover safe now yeah. in 8th edition. Just to keep in mind that I think a lot of people might be looking back with some rose-colored glasses because towards the end of 7th, just about everything ignored cover. Um, yeah. Tau all ignored cover, basically. Exactly. Space Marines had the Hunter's Eye, which ignored cover through the Death Stars, or yeah. any Centurion unit. There was Psychic Powers that ignored cover. Yeah. Weapons. Uh, weapons. Like, uh, yeah, all, all over the place, right? So much stuff mm-hmm. just ignored cover. Obviously, Flamer templates as well, like yeah. anything like that. They all ignored cover. Um, so I know a lot of times it's fun to look back and be like, oh, you know, I got a cover save if I just had a toe in cover. It was so much easier before. Exactly. Chances are, at most levels of the game, cool, you had a toe in cover. It didn't really matter. <laughs> so yeah. I just want to talk about that. I know it's different for every game scene, but like, you know, now there's far fewer weapons that actually ignore cover. So if you actually are good enough to get into the cover, it's a nice thing. Sure. So the nice part is what terrain. So Josh, kind of start us out with what terrain, you know, thinking about that you should be seeing on the table and, you know, what are we looking for? Yeah, I mean, realistically, I mean, you should see like the same type of terrain on the table, right? You'll still see ruins. You'll see, still see line of sight blocking terrain. Woods, right? Um barricades craters all those all those pieces haven't really gone away right mm-hmm. the thing that's mainly changed is essentially the rule sets that go along with them right so like you said you know you don't get that necessarily cover save so much um anymore so for ruins for example 
you have to be fully within the ruins to get the cover safe. Yes. So, I mean, he's certainly still part of the game, um, except for my tank that's hidden behind the ruin doesn't get a cover save because I'm not actually in the ruin. Yeah. Right. Um, and then additionally, things like, uh, you know, craters and, and, and woods and that kind of thing, they still have the minus to charge. So if I charge through a woods, for example, I get minus two inches to charge. Mm-hmm. Right. So you still see those pieces on the table. I think the main thing, though, is that you don't have to deal so much with the terrain rules like you have in the past, right? Correct. Again, keep in mind that we're going down to more of a simplified rule set to speed up gameplay. So I'm not going to sit there and look on the table and try to squint one eye and see, all right, am I 50% obscured? What exactly is 50%? Yeah. You know, it, it just simplifies things. So now I know I, I actually have to be fully within the runes, for example. And there is like mm-hmm. another option. Um, some people have toyed around with this. Definitely talk to your, your local scene in any tournament. Um, mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, they use the ruins that are sort of straight out of GW's book. Yep. It's the ruined building that's there. Problem is that a lot of times you can't get a whole infantry unit to stand on top of the ruin rafters. Um, you yeah. obviously can't get a tank in the ruin or anything like that. Yeah. One thing that we've been looking at doing, and a lot of people have started to do this at some other tournaments, is essentially taking the ruins and placing them on a, essentially like a, a piece like, of like cardboard or like board. Like MDF board. Yeah. MDF board, exactly. Yep. That way you can have like multiple small ruin buildings and sections on that board and yep. you count the whole area of the board as a ruin. Yep. It's a nice option to be able to make sure that whole squad can fit in as the terrain. It adds to sort of the narrative aspect of it. Whereas if you're shooting these guys, they could have lunged behind this wall. Exactly. But it also makes gameplay a lot easier because it gives you open space to put a tank or to mm-hmm. put a different type of vehicle in there as well um, to take advantage of those saves. So if you've exactly. got those pieces, it's a nice thing to be able to do. And not only that, but it just clarifies the footprint, right? I mean, exactly. I think that's that's a huge part of 8th edition is what is the footprint of the terrain? Because mm-hmm. um, within a lot of these different rule sets, you know, explains, well, they have to be wholly within the ruin, for example. Yes. Right? Like you said, what is wholly within the ruin? What's the footprint of that terrain? As soon as you start putting it onto MDF board or putting it onto cardboard or whatever it is, right, you start seeing the clarified footprint of it and it makes it a lot easier for both players to actually... And and that's a perfect point Mm because technically, depending on how you're playing, if you have somebody that's in the ruin and they're standing behind the ruin wall, you know, how close are they going to have to be? A lot of it's going to be like an inch behind the ruin wall and they get cover. The footprint solves all those concerns. And then you don't really have to worry about talking with people about how it works out. Exactly. I mean, same thing goes for like woods, for example. You Mm -hmm. know, you just don't want to plop down three trees. You always want to have that kind of MDF on the bottom of it and make sure you know that footprint. Exactly. So, you know, there's a bunch of good ways to sort of get that terrain on your table. You know, Mm -hmm. the easiest one that everybody's seen in probably every one of our battle battle report videos or on their game stores is just going directly through GW and getting terrain on your table. They have a ton of good terrain sets, right? They've yeah. upped their terrain oh. game so much yeah. in the last couple of years. It's great. So now, you know, we, we still have the typical, you know, you can buy ruins, you can buy fuel pipes, you can buy, you know, trees, of course, mm-hmm. they've always been around. But now you have these new sets, right? Um, and they're actually called uh, the Industrial or Sector Mechanicum or Mechanicus sets, right? So now all of a sudden you go from having these kind of static pieces of ruins or whatever to having these sets where you can actually modulize and split them apart, rebuild them in different ways, and you still only paint one model, right? Yeah. So you're not necessarily painting, you know, these various different, you know, 20 sets of, of terrain, but you can just click it on a part, 
build it back up and have a whole new piece of terrain. It's awesome. And they're pretty great. They mm -hmm. look gorgeous on the table once you get them all painted and put together. Um, you know, they're pretty easy <laughs> to put together to be able to do. Um, I yeah. even put together one and I can't put together anything. <laughs> um, so, you know, they're yeah. easy and, and they look great and they really pop. Um, yeah. Now, there's some other really good places to get terrain too. Yeah, so, um, you know, one of the trends that we've seen in, in recent years is the MDF sets. Yep. Right, so places like TT Combat makes these MDF sets um, that are, I mean, these are pretty cool. Um, so, Josh, what is, like, the MDF set? Yeah, sorry. So, essentially, the MDF is laser-cut terrain, so built out of, it's not necessarily, like, cardboard, but it's a, it's a paper-like substance, right? Um, so, they're really easy to build. They're really easy to make, essentially, um, because, I mean, they're just essentially cutting it out of these MDF, like cardboard, like in between cardboard and, and wood type board, right? So they're really cool. They're cheap to buy, which is a major benefit. So you can get like, you know, these big building sets for, mm -hmm. you know, 50 bucks or whatever it is. Whereas if you bought the plastic through GW, it'd be, you know, 150 yes. or whatever it is, right? So they're cheap, they're easy to build, um, they're very lightweight, and they they essentially snap together a lot like, you know, uh, some of the, the Sector Imperialis yes. stuff, right? So they're really neat. Um, you can get them for, for pretty cheap. And we've seen a lot of different tournaments start to buy these in bulk. Yes. Right, and put them on the table. So that's another option that you could run through. Um, I'm not sure if you've had too much experience with the MDF stuff yet, Mike. Uh, I haven't. I've seen a lot of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that has turned me away from getting it is, is once again, I don't build or paint a lot of stuff. I just yeah. don't have the talent. Um, sure. And so one of the things that sort of steered me away from a lot of it is they come looking like that wood cardboard yeah. look. Um, same thing that's a little bit difficult to put into. Exactly. Um, they look great, but mm -hmm. they necessarily don't have like the detail like GW or another part. That's great. Um, so that's like one of the things that throws me away from it, mm -hmm. but I've seen some gorgeous looking sets on tables. Oh yeah, I mean, so these sets, they definitely have their segment, right? They're, they have their purpose. Um, so anything that's kind of blocky, right? Yeah. That doesn't necessarily have like the detail. So like you're not going to get like, uh, chaos like stars and stuff like that mm -hmm. sticking out of it right because it's laser cut it's cut out of MDF so you're not going to necessarily get like those those curves and those grooves you're going to get more of square type of sets so like one thing that we're looking at right now is this you know crane for example yes right? everything's very square it's a really cool set right it's it's pretty cheap but it, again it's everything's square and you know you snap it together and obviously you still need a primer you still need a paint yep. that kind of thing but um, you're not going to get the detail like you do with the GW. And when looking at like the laser cut stuff versus the GW terrain as well, um, one of the key things to take in mind is that the all or nothing approach isn't necessarily the best with this. Yeah, exactly. I would mix and match. Mm -hmm. The, um, you know, kind of the wood, the cardboard, the MDF terrain is going to make the GW stuff pop even more. Mm -hmm. But there's some things where you don't need that necessarily GW level of detail. Like if you're doing ruins or you're doing just a simple house structure, yeah. It doesn't matter if you can count each and every individual brick. You know, it might actually yeah. dissuade you from painting it. Sure. But if you put those houses in there, some standard pieces of terrain, and then have some gorgeous GW stuff on there, you know, you can really start making a table that looks amazing. Oh, for sure, for sure. And the other cool part too, and Josh, you mentioned this before, and I wanted you to talk about this, is especially with the MDF stuff as well. Mm -hmm. It comes relatively basic, 
But everyone's got extra models and extra bits. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, like we talked about before, the MDF is a more, little bit more simplified. It doesn't have the detail. But again, you can kit bash anything. That's the great thing about this hobby is that you can throw on some, you know, some uh, various different bits on these. You know, you can, uh, you know, even scrape it up with your, your uh, <clears throat> you know, sharp knife or whatever it is just to add that character yeah. that you want to it. So... And I think that that's the nice part about doing a less expensive option, like the laser exactly. cut piece of terrain, mm -hmm. is that if you buy something from GW, and mm -hmm. let's say you are not an Imperial player, so you don't really want the look of like a big bulky model. Let's say you're Eldar or Tau, and sure. you want those smooth lines, and there's not a lot of terrain out there for mm -hmm. it. If you buy the laser cut options, because they're less expensive, you feel a lot better modifying it. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> you know, cutting it up, adding some pieces, doing yeah, some things. Yep. It's a little weird going to GW and spending $50, $70, $100 on and a piece of terrain. Destroying the model. <laughs> <laughs> and just breaking. You're like, oh, man, there had to be a better uh, way. I know. I know we have a piece of terrain here that's actually, it's a, it's a rhino that's like cut up. Yeah. And it's just sitting there on the board. And every time I see it, I'm like, oh. I, I hope it was like a, a defect or something. Yes. Right? <laughs> it's a big one for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of like the big things too is, you know, there's a third type of terrain that we're going to talk about here in a second. But mm -hmm. we're talking about the third piece of type of terrain for a pretty interesting way. And sure. that's one of the huge downsides of 8th edition. And it was actually a really big downside in 7th edition too, just not to the same degree, is that there is not enough line of sight blocking terrain oh, in 8th yeah. edition. <clears throat> There wasn't in 7th edition either, mm -hmm. um, but there were ways around that um, that people had. Yeah. Now, you you absolutely need line of sight blocking terrain. Definitely. Because, I mean, if you're not getting the 50% cover save, how about just not being able to shoot at me? Exactly. Right. Having mm -hmm. units to be able to move around cover, especially with jump infantry being better mm -hmm. now, units that can fly being better, yeah. um, being able to kind of hide and then jump out adds a tactical perspective. It also prevents, which is the number one complaint that everyone talks about, which is... I didn't go first, so I lost a third of my army oh my before gosh. I even went. Yeah. Yeah. And you just lose your ability to survive and kind of counter a lot of that. Um, exactly. I've seen some gaming groups where they had as high as 84% of the people that went first got to go. Um, that was a huge complaint, especially now with the way you deploy, where if you do exactly the way GW wants, whoever has the gets done deploying first gets the choice to go first. So people that once again are running that storm raven spam that only have six or seven drops yeah get another huge advantage to go out if you're doing it that way same thing if you're running you know four night titans mm -hmm. and gilliman in there you're going to always go first and you can do a world of hurt for that so oh, the line of sight sure. blocking terrain greatly affects that and you know if you if you look at gw's kits there's really not much you can buy for line of sight blocking terrain, true right i mean you can buy a bastion and that's going to block me yeah. and my infantry squad. And but, that's if I don't move. Yeah, and, and that's if you don't move. Um, you know, the ruins, for example, oh, you can see me through a window. Yes. Yeah, all of a sudden my infantry squad is dead. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be able to hide my Lehman Russ with a bastion or whatever it is, right? Unless I'm parked directly behind that bastion. So this is kind of where the, the scratch-built kits and, you know, the third-party type of kits come into play. Mm -hmm. And that's really the third kind that we want to talk about. It's mm -hmm. the third-party kit. It's also the terrain that you are going to make yourself. Exactly. Um, and keep in mind, this terrain is going to be big line-of-sight blocking terrain. Mm -hmm. You can put as much detail in it as you want, but it doesn't have to be because, frankly, it's going to be really large. Yep. Take up a good spot on the board. And a big shout-out to um, the Michigan GT especially. Um, every single year they've gone out of their way to have two 
extremely large line of sight blocking piece of terrain sure. to make sure each person gets a chance to place one. Mm-hmm. And when I'm talking large, I'm talking usually up to about like two feet tall. Yeah. So that even flyers can't see over. It's going to hide every type of model. Exactly. So you're not going to get that. I went first. I'm shooting across an yeah. open board and destroying all your army. Yeah. And this is still very much a, a shooting game, right? So you yeah. need that line of sight blocking terrain. Um, you can't just have... You know, even one piece of line side blocking terrain. I think, you know, like you said, there really should be two. And what that does is it forces you to move around your units. Mm-hmm. Right? It forces you to not only, you know, move your flyers around them as well, right? If they're two feet tall, that's yeah. awesome. Um, and then, you know, position tactically and actually have a tactical game rather than sit back and just shoot through the little windows in the ruins, shoot through whatever it is where you can see, you know, maybe a little hand on my guy. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and that's the tactical aspect, too, yeah. because there's two parts. It's not only deploying yourself tactically, but remember, you get to place the terrain. Yeah. So where you're placing your large line of sight blocking terrain has a pretty good effect as well. So, you know, the big thing that we always talk about with people is GW has amazingly detailed terrain. Yep. It is a little pricey. There is third-party laser-cut terrain that has a wide variety of pieces that looks very similar to GW, just that level of detail that costs sure. a little bit. But the most cost-effective option to possibly have and what's going to be best for your table in terms of tactical movement is terrain that is built yourself. Yeah, scratch-built terrain, right? So I know I've been working on some stuff lately. I mean, you can pick up, for example... Um, this stuff that they call styrene so essentially it's just plastic card right uh so you know you can build anything out of it they have designs in it right people use it for basing you can buy like little tiles um you know i know a lot of people use the little tiles for like aos bases for instance and then just paint them different different colors so i mean you can use i mean essentially you're getting the raw materials and just building whatever you want yeah so you know, one thing I was going to do is, you know, kit, ba- kit bash uh, a bastion, use the little pieces on the bottom, use some of that, uh, you know, styrene, that, that plastic card to kind of build levels. And then all of a sudden I have like this wall, essentially. Yes. Um, and then, you know, throw some sandbags in there, throw, you know, some bits, maybe some las guns in there, prop them up against there, get some barrels. And now all of a sudden I have a very thematic piece of terrain mm-hmm. that's detailed still and exactly how I want it. Right. Um, and really, I mean, obviously it takes a lot more effort. You yep. can't just buy a kit, throw it together, but it's so much more customized. And honestly, in my opinion, it looks better on the table. Yeah. And not yeah. only that, but one of the things too, is a lot of people, you know, we want to paint oh, yeah. our miniatures. Like yeah, that's, that's why we're in the yeah. hobby. That's yeah. why we're in the hobby. People want to do that stuff. They want to play with the stuff they're getting mm-hmm. on the table. But the cool part is, you know, if you're somebody that has multiple different armies or you've got units that you're going to paint that maybe you don't play with all the time, but they're just sitting there. Mm -hmm. If you spend the time and the effort to create the terrain, no matter what army you play against or what system you play with, you can use the terrain. Like it's usable for every edition you're ever going to play. Yeah. (laughs) It's usable for every game that you're going to play. It's not a big deal. Oh, yeah. And like before 8th edition dropped, right? So it was kind of that, that one month period or, or two months or whatever it is between when 8th was announced and when, you know, 8th actually dropped. Yep. People were like, well, I don't know what units to build. I don't know what units to paint, right? What's going to be mm-hmm. the meta? A bunch of people focused on terrain. I mean, exactly. it makes sense. You can use it within any edition. I mean, it's still fun to do. You know, you're still building it up. It can still be thematic. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just all around, uh, you know, you're going to use it no matter what. And so. we're going to have some step-by-step, um, you know, like pictures and articles, yep, you know, tutorials. as Josh gets this terrain built. Um, you know, check mm-hmm. our Instagram page, website, and Facebook page as well to kind of see those pictures where you can see. Um, one of the last ones, because, you know, we want to leave you with something that you can do yourself. 
It's incredibly simple. Uh, I stole this idea once again from the Michigan GT. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. shout out to those guys. But one of the most simple pieces of terrain you can ever take is essentially four pop cans. Oh, yeah. 12-ounce pop cans. Pop cans. Or if you've got like 16-ounce monster cans yeah, yeah. or beer cans, you're yeah. playing beer hammer in the basement. Yep, yeah, of course. You take them all. You basically glue them together so you have one nice wall. Uh-huh. You take those wood paint stirrers. Yep. On the bottom of the cans and on the top of the stands, put one each paint stirrer. That way you've got it like nice and secure. You can even put them along the middle of the cans as well to yep. really secure in there. Spray paint them all silver. Add some extra colors and textures and effects. You know, you can throw some lichen moss yep. on the top of it if you want to look like an overgrown ruin. Yeah. And you immediately have a line of sight blocking piece of terrain that blocks basically everything from like a demon prince and a hive tyrant below. Yeah. You know, if you want to start making two levels... You can literally make two levels and you make them as long or as wide as you want. Exactly. The paint stirs add a little bit more stability. Now you can hide your riptides, now you can hide your wraith knights, now you exactly. can hide flyers. Um, and it, you probably have the cans at your house already. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> if not, you yeah, can yeah, borrow yeah, yeah. them from somebody. The paint stirs cost like a quarter. <laughs> oh, they're cheap. Just go just go Lowe's, Home Depot, and ask for one. Exactly. Yeah. So you, the materials for that will mm-hmm. quite literally cost you probably $2 plus the paint. But you're not getting the deposits on the cans, Mike. I'm sorry. (laughs) Minus the 80 cent deposit that you're going to get back. And then you can buy basic spray paint too. You don't have to use fine hobby paint. Um, You can take them outside. You can practice any painting skills that you want on them because like it works. Um, And it's a extremely cost effective way to sort of build a wall and structure that stops any type of alpha strike shooting. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be pop cans, right? I mean, I personally, every time I start looking around my house, I start looking at things that I, I immediately correlate it back to terrain. Right? Sure. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this could be, you know, whatever building. Yeah. Right? Whatever it is, right? So there's a ton of cheap options out there. Certainly start thinking about doing some, some scratch built stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just throw something down, use it as terrain, even if it's not 40K terrain. Yeah. And, you know, just start thinking about building out. So those pop cans are a great example because all of a sudden you have these industrial fuel, fuel tanks. Yep. That didn't cost you anything to make. Yeah. yeah. And any kind of home improvement <clears throat> project. Get extra yeah. PVC pipeline around. Done. You got anything. Yeah. You can you can make all that stuff great. Um, and really, so if you're hobbying on the budget, your terrain doesn't have to suffer. Your board doesn't have to suffer. Yep. Um, you will be able to go out and get a good looking board that solves a lot of the issues in 8th edition. And just really, it enhances the entire style of your play. For sure. For, For sure. Point. So cool. Awesome. So hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Uh, we're you know trying out our fancy new podcasting equipment. So sorry we didn't have one last week for you guys. Um, but I think we're going to be doing another one right after this here in a second. So we'll be uh, getting at least one out to you this week and maybe a second one out for you later this week. Kind of depends sure. on how everything goes. Yeah, sounds good. All right, thanks for joining us, guys. Yep, once again, I'm Mike. I'm Josh. And thank you for listening to Persia Alien. This episode of Persian was recorded on July 23rd, 2017. All rights for this episode and its content are reserved by the Creative Commons license. Instrumental music, sound effects, and the episode were produced by Persian.